0: Our sermon passage this morning is Ruth chapter 3, hear the word of the Lord. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it might, may be well with you? Is not Boaz, our, our relative, with whose young woman you were, see his winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor? Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not... Make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother in law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after a, another young man, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning. But arose before one could recognize another, and he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it, put it on her. And she went into the city, and she came to her mother-in-law, and she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Holy, merciful God, we come before you and your word Dependent on you, thirsty for you. Feed us this morning. Encourage our hearts. Stir up desires and passions for you and the things of God, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. When our family was in seminary in St. Louis, uh, there was one of the summers when we were in St. Louis that we all decided to come back to Bellingham uh, which is north of Seattle, if you're not unfamiliar with where Bellingham is, to work in a church and to network for future jobs once we were done with school. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, me and my family, we have four young kids. Our youngest was three at the time. And one of the challenges of being, you know, back just for 10 weeks is we didn't have just one house to live in for 10 weeks. We were kind of living in a handful of different people's homes, sometimes with people, sometimes in empty houses. And when you're three years old, it gets a little confusing. You don't know, okay, where's my home? And it was kind of funny. On the way back, we stopped in a, one hotel room, I think it was in Utah, and our youngest son, who's three, says, oh, I like our new house. And we're like, well, no, we don't live here. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, but it's a nice, it's a nice new house. And uh, it wasn't until we left that he started to realize, no, we weren't going to stay there. And the next morning as we're leaving, he's really upset. Is like, we can't leave already. This is our new home. He was so confused uh, because he, he didn't realize where his home was. He had forgotten. And it's something that I think we all can understand and feel is home is something that we all long for. And whether we realize it or not, it, and, and one of these reasons that home is a place of rest. It's a place of safety and a place of rest, biblically speaking, is more than just a place to lay your head to sleep. But it's, it's home. It's, it's where you can be safe. It's to have protection, uh, to be provided for, to have an air, to, to have security. And, you know, one of the things you find is you can't have rest if you're always looking over your shoulder. If you don't have a place to call home, you know, I think it's something that you really realize if you've um, ever been displaced from a home before. You know that this is true. Or if you've ever experienced a break-in before at your home, uh, it feels so violating to you because it violates the sacred space of rest, and it displaces us. And in one way, you could even talk about the entire story of Scripture is a story of a people that long for rest and a God that's trying to give rest to his people. And as we come close to the end of the story of, of Ruth, I think one of the things that should catch our attention is that the romance that we see between Ruth and Boaz is actually not the center point of the story. Their burgeoning love for one another is, is there, and it's, they, they like each other, and they end up getting married spoiler alert at the end. they do get married, but we don't really get details on how they feel. you know if this was a modern day you know, romance story, you 'd be like, you know when Boaz walked into the room, my heart fluttered or something like this, I clearly don't read romance novels, but It would be like that, you know, that they'd be describing how do they feel when they walk into the room, but they don't because the central theme of Ruth is actually covenant loyalty. That word hesed that gets repeated, which means covenant love, steadfast love, unbreaking love that God has for his people. Hesed is is what God is. God is hesed, steadfast love. And he has steadfast love for his people, even though his people often search for rest away from him which is how the story begins, with them going outside the place of, of rest, outside God's land to foreign land to look for rest. Even though they do that, God is still steadfast, still longing to give his people rest. And you know, Jesus echoes this in his famous Matthew 11, you know, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what it means to be under his wings. And throughout the book of Ruth, this is a sneaky word that's repeated, is rest. You know, first in chapter 1, it was the basis for Naomi trying to send Ruth and Orpah back to their homeland in Moab. She said, go find your rest there. And this Naomi is saying, maybe you won't be able to actually find rest where I'm going. Then in chapter 2, Ruth, it says, takes a short rest during the day, symbolizing the rest that's coming for her at the end of the story. And now here, everything that happens in this chapter, in chapter 3, it's because of rest. It's because of what we see in verse 1. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? But The difference in the story now is that now uh, Naomi is seeking rest from within this covenant framework. Instead of going outside the land that God has provided for rest, now she's working through the laws that God has provided for rest. And this, what we're finding is that God is the God who gives his children rest. He longs to give them rest. He wrote his laws to give them rest. He sent Christ to give his people rest. And we're going to see this theme of rest play out here in a couple of ways. The first is this, that seeking rest requires a bold faith. Seeking rest requires a bold faith. We see this begin... In verse 1 again, where she says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may go well with you? Right? Even this word, when she says, Should I not seek, it's, it carries a connotation of demand for you. Should I not go take this? You know, where we're at in this story is they've just, the harvest season has just ended, so they've likely been six to eight weeks since they first met Boaz, and nothing's happened yet aside from them getting the provision of food. And Naomi is done waiting. She wants them to to claim the Redeemer already. You know, Naomi herself just declared at the end of chapter 2, right, that God, maybe God hasn't forsaken us. It says that she is kind, which is that he is, it's the same word hesed there in Hebrew. So she knew that, listen, God is probably going to use this Boaz guy to actually redeem us. How awesome is this? So let's go make this happen. Let's not wait anymore. Let's go after this rest that God has for us. And what makes what she is about to do a, a, a profound act of faith is that she is working within the boundaries that God has created in his covenant laws, trusting that God's going to work through these ordinary means that he's already given to provide. And so she puts this bold plan into play. So what does she tell Ruth to do? Back in verses uh, 3 to 4. So wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. And put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down... Observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So he's saying, listen, Ruth is likely wearing some sort of widow garments. Take off your widow garments. Clean up. Put on perfume, washing, anointing, clothing. These three things together are are symbolic of what a bride would do. These are the steps a bride would do before they got married. Ruth, in no uncertain terms, is preparing for a wedding. She's prepared to get married this very evening. But what makes this so bold is how dangerous this is. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced a desperation for rest, but when we are desperate for rest, when we've searched everywhere and found nothing, we are willing to act boldly when we see it's within our grasp. But what makes this so dangerous? For one, nothing good happens in the evening, especially in the Bible, Right? The, the nighttime is when sin happens in Scripture. Jesus is called the light of the world. His people are called children of the light. Things that happen in darkness are going to be uncovered. That's sin. Darkness is always pointing to the cover of sin, and, and light is pointing to revelation, truth. And, and so this makes a difference. She's doing this act in the cover of darkness. Also, rarely does something good happen when a woman dresses up and puts on perfume and goes to a man in the middle of the night after his heart has been made merry with wine. It's not a recipe for success and holiness. I mean, and even if Boaz does end up acting holy, who knows who could have found her before this event happened? What if someone else got to her before Boaz did? And, you know, especially the the, the Jewish reader has another scene in Scripture that comes to mind when they read this. It was a scenario just like this when the line of Moab, Moab begins, right? The, which was the line of Ruth, Ruth the Moabite. Right? In Genesis, Lot's daughters were unmarried. Their father was old in age. They had no lineage. They had no family. They had no rest. But they wanted it. They wanted a family. So what did they do? Well, they acted boldly, but not in faith working through God's framework. Uh, Rather than praying, seeking God, waiting on the Lord, what did they do? But they got their old father drunk on wine and went into him in the night. And the eldest of these daughters got pregnant and named her son Moab, which literally means, uh, who is my father? And in that, the, the sin was actually in the name. And now Ruth is doing some of these Moabite things, going to a man in the evening with the hopes of being Redeemed by him, claimed by him, to be brought into his family, to be given children, to be given, given a lineage, to be given rest. And then we see what plays out here in verses 6 through 7. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. See the tension... And the story is building up. I mean, you can see it playing out in your mind. You think, what is going to happen? You can see the scene as if it's a movie. And you wonder, are the heroes about to do something regrettable? Is what's going to happen in this moment? And then she does that strange thing that Naomi told her to do. It says uh, she goes and uncovers his feet. Well, that's strange. What is that about? Uh, and... It sounds strange, but there's, you know, a couple things likely happening in this. For one, it's highly likely that uncovering the feet is a reference to something more than just covering his feet, uncovering his feet, and I'll let your imagination play that one out. But at least, at the very least, she's exposing uh, the fact that he is vulnerable in this moment. She could take advantage of him, like the, uh, um, like Lot's daughters took advantage of Lot. Um... But another aspect, and perhaps the more important point, is that in some of these um, marriage vows, what they would do to show their engagement would be they'd place the corner of a blanket over the person that they wanted to marry. Because sharing a blanket was a sign of becoming one flesh, and so by pulling the blanket open, she's inviting him to ask her to share this blanket. Ruth is prepared to get married this evening. And so the tension of the story we find is at its greatest point. What's going to happen to Ruth? Will she be safe? Will she be taken advantage of? Will she find rest? Is Boaz actually a good guy? Is, is, is this bold action going to pay off? Which leads us to a question that maybe we should be asking was, why did they do this? Why did they put themselves in such a dangerous situation? Why put Ruth at great risk? And ultimately what we find is because of faith. Right? Their need was, was great. There's nothing they could do to redeem themselves. It could only be met in God. Right? Faith in the kindness of God and the steadfast love. And Naomi and Ruth had already experienced this kindness, which leads them even into even more bold actions. You know, sometimes when we're timid in our faith, it's because we haven't really put ourselves out there in a place that we actually depended on God. And know for, for our family, seeing God provide in mysterious ways while we quit our jobs and moved to St. Louis to go to school helped us to have even bolder faith to move to Yakima and try to plant St. Andrews. Right? When you experience God's work in your lives in one area, it helps sustain you working, trusting God to step out in faith in the next thing. So a question that rings out is, where is God leading you? To act in faith? Where are you timid to trust in Him and His laws and His rules for goodness? You know, to use a baseball analogy, sometimes you have to put the ball in play. You know, and when you do, when you step out in faith, what we find is that God is the God who responds. Although, what we find is that it isn't always how we want Him to. He always does respond to us, even in prayer, but it's not always how we want to, which I know we can all relate to. But either way, when we step out in faith, our faith is strengthened. Because of the second thing that we see about rest here is that God is the God who gives his people rest. That God is the God who gives his people rest. And we see this drama fold out here in verse 8. At midnight... The man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. This is probably one of my favorite parts of the story, just because it sounds so funny. I mean, just, I know for myself, when I wake up in the middle of the night and I like squint and I think I see a person standing there and it's just like a shirt hanging up, you know, I imagine it's like that. It's, it's, it, he's probably a little bit groggy from the merriness to wine. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's also, there's no street lights or anything like that. This is pitch black. He's outside hanging out with the grain. And, you know, he's kind of squinting his eyes. except, And then he sees there's an actual person here. And, uh, and then we see this, what he says in verse 9. Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You know, I'm guessing as soon as he heard her voice, she knew, he knew exactly who it was. And Ruth repeats something that Boaz had said to her. Back in chapter 2, verses 12, he says that Ruth has actually placed herself under the wings of the Lord, and now she is saying that to him. Which, you know, to be placed under the wings of the Lord is to seek refuge, to seek rest. And now she's saying this, listen, as I have come and taken rest in the Lord, so I want to come and take rest under you. Spread your wings over me. Let me rest under them. Bring me under the cover of your blanket. Make me your wife. And no one certain term, she's saying, marry me. She's saying, you are the one who can claim me or redeem me, so do it. And this is what a kinsman redeemer was. You know, from the Levitical laws, a uh, kinsman redeemer was, was one who, who, if your husband died, the, the brothers would marry the, the widow and claim the whole household for themselves, which includes children, which includes their family, which includes their property, which includes actually their debts as well. To be a redeemer means to make a claim. And she is saying, make a claim on me. Take me into your household. Make me your wife. And believe it or not, this was actually very odd behavior. Women did not propose in this day. And so to make it clear that her intentions are indeed within God's framework, she declares why she's there, right? She says, "Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to do Moabite things here. I'm not trying to take advantage of you. Uh, But what do we find? In her actions, we find honor. She's using covenant language. Spread your wings over me. She understands the law. She's saying, I want you to be a redeemer. This is your role. Do this thing. She isn't breaking laws. She isn't taking advantage of the situation. She's actually patient. She waits. She trusts. She listens to him. And Boaz, you know, an interesting thing, Boaz actually is not law-bound to marry Ruth. Uh, He is enough removed from Ruth that the law would actually not require him to marry her. But again, Boaz understands the spirit of the law. Just like he allowed her to, to, to glean above and beyond what the law demanded, so he understands what the law would actually ask of him, whether or not it was demanded or not. And we get this beautiful response in verse 10 from him. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. This is where Boaz, again, shows us what kind of man he is. He doesn't act like the men acted in Numbers 25 when they took advantage of the Moabite woman. But he calls her blessed by the Lord. He shows compassion, and he uses the great Hebrew word again here, hesed, to describe her. This Moabite woman is acting hesedly. She's acting like a child of God. She shows herself to be steadfast because she has not gone after other men in vain pursuits of beauty and wealth, but she goes after Boaz. Well, Why? Why would she go after the old guy, right? Because he's a redeemer, She understands what covenant loyalty demands of her. She understands that rest is actually not found outside of God and his law, but through it. And and this this is what Jesus does to bring us rest, isn't it? Not apart from the law, but actually through it, fulfilling it. And then in verse 11, we get the answer we've been waiting for. Like if this was a movie playing on probably the Hallmark Channel, I'm guessing, this is the answer we would be waiting to hear. And now my daughter... Do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. We finally hear the yes, right? That the build-up happens, and Boaz says, "Yes, listen. I will redeem you. I will marry you. You are an honorable woman." You know, as a as a quick aside, in, in the Jewish Bible, uh, Ruth comes right after Proverbs. You know, Proverbs 31, the last chapter of Proverbs is about this Proverbs 31 woman, this amazing description of a woman. And then we get Ruth right after. And one of the things is Ruth is a quintessential Proverbs 31 woman. And even the words that he used to describe her are some of the language that's used in Proverbs 31. And this, she's being propped up as a model for Israel. This foreign woman, this outsider has been brought in. And not just brought in, but propped up as, an, as a model for all of us. And then, just as we think they're about to ride off into the sunset, this beautiful, happy ending, the story takes a turn. Verse 12 to 13. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if not, but if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. It's like, wait, what? what? There's somebody else? You've got to be thinking, you know, Boaz, just take the woman. She, no one else knows about this other guy. Uh, no one's going to know. No one's going to say anything. He clearly doesn't know he's got a role in this. So just, just take her and, and we'll just keep this quiet to ourselves. And this is where we find Boaz is actually just as committed to this covenant loyalty as Ruth is. Because of this, he can't just take her as his own just yet. And think about all that he's giving up to do this. Boaz is an older man. He's waited his whole life to get married. He longs for it. It And right here, it's right in front of him. And yet he says, no. He doesn't take what isn't his to take. This itself is actually a bold act in faith, trusting that whatever God provides for him, whatever rest God provides for him, is enough. And one of the things we also learn in this is that Boaz says that he's not going to stop until Ruth finds her rest. Boaz will make sure that Ruth and Naomi are cared for and given this rest. it just is not going to be this evening, which makes our, our hearts sink perhaps a little bit because we've all experienced this, right? The promise of future rest. it's always off in the distance, always in the future, always waiting for it to happen to us, right? Always the bridegroom, never the bride. And this is where we are left with hope. At the end of this, there's profound hope, not just for Ruth, but for us. In verses 14 through 15, hear this. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor and he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. This is beautiful part of the story that she doesn't go home with what she wanted, but she doesn't go empty handed either. In fact, you know, like a Proverbs 31 woman showing off, this is likely around 80 pounds of grain that she just threw on her back and walked back home with. Uh, And in this amount of grain that we find, we have a hint of this future hope. Uh, One of the things you have to remember, especially in these kind of short stories, every single little detail they share with us matters. There's no accidental words. There's no accidental details given. And it says that she's given six measures of grain, which is hinting at this future rest, right? She's on the eve of the seventh measure which gives us an allusion to the seventh day, the the day of rest. Her waiting is almost over. The seventh day of rest is coming close. And what does Naomi say at the end here? He says he will not rest until the matter is settled today. He will not rest until it's done. And we see bookending this passage is rest. From this desperate attempt to, to gain it to Boaz actually giving up his rest for her now. Why does he do this? So Ruth can have it. Ruth and Naomi can finally rest here because Boaz will not rest until it is done. This is where we see these covenant curses are now turned into covenant blessings. She came back empty-handed from Moab, but now they are full-handed. The long night is over. The day is dawning. Salvation. Rest is at hand for them. What we learn is that because God never rests, we can rest in him. He's constantly holding all things together so we don't have to. And just like Boaz waited for his bride and Ruth and and he works to redeem her no matter the cost to himself, so Christ himself binds himself to us, his bride, the church, redeeming her, claiming her through his restless work. Because of the work of Christ, because he didn't rest but came in the flesh, we can find rest in him. Right, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, all who are burdened, seeking for rest but not finding it, we're called to come to Christ. Christ who takes all the covenant curses on himself to give us life. Right, the Christ who works within the framework of God's laws to claim us, to redeem us. And as he did, as he claimed you, as he redeems you, he claims all your debts all your sorrows, all your sins, all your struggles, all your shortcomings. And now where is Christ? He's sitting down. His work is actually finished. <clears throat> How can we be sure about our rest in Christ? Because he's already accomplished it. It's, it's done. It is finished. There's no more work to be done. We have been redeemed now. Not because of our work, but because of his. And now our lives are lives that are lived out of this rest that we find in Christ. Christ, the greater Boaz, has purchased this rest for his bride. And now in Christ, we have been given a new name, new identities, a new family. A family that's full of children, a family that's full of of mothers and fathers, of women and men. And as we belong to his church... We actually belong to him. And there's no greater covenant head than Christ, right? The second Adam whose work is complete, whose work is finished. And so now as we live our lives, even as we experience displacement, as we experience the ongoing effects of of sin, as we experience disappointments, we still have rest because we've already been claimed by God. The God who gives rest to his people. Our future is secure. It is done. We have been redeemed. We have been claimed. We have been brought into his family, brought under his covers. May we be a people who have a bold faith to find our rest in Christ, who actually rest in the rest that Christ gives us, his people, his bride. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven, We give you thanks that you are the, the God who you say you are. That we have our rest in you. Where we seek rest in other places. Stir our hearts back to you. Where we try to find rest in our circumstances of life. May we seek you in the lasting rest that you have already claimed on our behalf. Apply this truth to our lives in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.